0: And to that piece of shit, lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, <laughs> us,
1: <Okay.
2: Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, welcome New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. We got a great show for you here today. We have a good friend of mine, lifelong South Bronx resident, lifelong Democrat community advocate. You often see her on social media blasting both sides of the island when it comes to politics, when it comes to common sense legislation. She's also part of a new group that we're going to talk about, One City Rising, uh, where they're pushing for moderate common sense politicians and policy. We're going to get into that. I'd like to welcome, uh, as always, I'm joined by my, my, uh, my good friend uh, and my partner in crime, most complained cop in, uh, in the NYPD, Eric Dim and Eric, could you introduce uh, our good friend over
0: here? Oh, Stan, Latina Brown, it's a pleasure to meet you. So we had just spoke offline, and it was interesting, some of the stuff that you were talking about as far as being a community advocate. And I was asking you, you know, what exactly does it mean to be a community advocate? And you said some pretty interesting stuff. I was pretty excited for you to actually tell the people on the podcast about this. So I think you have a great story. We have some common commonalities to share. I mean, I worked in the South Bronx a long time. You grew up in the South Bronx, so we know the area very well. I actually lived in the Bronx a long time myself, almost a decade, uh, in the Pelham Bay, Throgs Neck area. So, uh, Latina, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you you grew up, where you grew up, and what made you become a community advocate? Because the way you explained advocate was really interesting. And the fact that you're really not being compensated monetarily for what you do. So, please, explain to me how you got to this point. I'm excited to meet you. I uh, so you got a great smile, so let's do it.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, John and Eric. It's an honor to be here with you guys. Um, so I, am, I was born in Harlem. I come from a Caribbean background. Um, I worked in local government in New York City Council. So I worked in the Finance Division, and I also worked in the Office of General Counsel Division at City Council. And then I went on and worked into NYPD Community Affairs Bureau for just a short period of time. Um, what prompted me to become a community advocate? It's I think it started about 15 years ago. Um, I, I I recently moved to the Bronx 15 years ago, South Bronx, and I I saw some things that just wasn't you know right in the Bronx, homelessness, you know, housing issues and basically politicians just you know not doing their jobs so i think that's what kind of forced my hand to like decide to get into community advocacy and i think there was like more of a lack of respect for our law enforcement for our veterans for our seniors i think all of it just kind of like lumped up into one and i just said you know what enough is enough already because we have to raise our families in these communities you know we we don't want them exposed to this type of condition so i started advocating on us on small issues like housing housing is a number one issue right now in the bronx in harlem in in low income communities and you know i started to take on this issue and of course you know i'm gonna bump heads with politicians and they don't like that because as you know when it comes to housing who do you have behind the scenes the real estate developers that kind of like fund their campaign. So yes, it was an uphill battle. I've been doing uh, housing advocacy for over 10 years. So I just wanna explain the difference between community advocate and activist. Community advocate is when you take on a role of advocating for policies that will help benefit the community as a whole. You are not paid to do this. You are volunteering your time to meet with stakeholders. You are the middle man for the community, the elected officials, nonprofits, businesses, whatever the case may be. You're fighting for a cause. You're fighting for policies to make things right. Activists, community activists, the people that you see rallying and doing all of these protests and being radical, they are paid from different groups to be radical, to be activists. So when I hear that word activist, I stray away from it because that is not who we are. That's not what I stand for. Advocates, you're advocating for policy to help make things right, to undo uh, the damage that was caused by politicians that's in office and other groups. So I I just wanna thank you guys for having me here on this platform to kind of explain what the difference is between the two. But I am a community advocate. <laughs> I'm going to continue to be a community advocate, unpaid, fighting for the right uh, issues.
2: Thank you for explaining that. I mean, I consider myself now. After you <laughs> say that, I consider myself <laughs> also a community advocate, a common sense advocate, a police advocate, common sense policing, uh, common sense uh, legal reform. So I, I appreciate you that, uh, explaining that and also explaining the difference between an activist and and basically confirming that they are paid because, I mean, you see the same people on every different issue out there on the street, getting in cop faces, causing disrespecting problems, them. screaming, disrespecting not only the cops, but the public, the workers, the tourists, anybody on the street, you know, um, really taking uh, our first amendment protections and, and protesting and, and really turning them on their head, really pushing the law, uh, the law and trying to blur the lines. and and creating an unsafe environment. So I I, I don't consider myself an an activist either because I don't go out on the street and people say that, oh, I'm like, I'm just not a protester. it's not really me. I will go, I will show up at a rally once in a blue, but it's not, I I feel like I'm more effective in, in this role and, 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 and same thing for Eric. You know, he's a CCRB advocate. He's a community advocate. He's a common sense advocate.
1: I've seen your stuff, Eric. Very good.
2: <laughs> so, so Latina, um, there's a newly formed organization that you're, I believe, you sit on the board for. Um, could you explain what One City Rising is to, to the audience?
1: Well, One City Rising is a 50C14. It was founded by Maria Danzillo. Maria Danzillo is a former candidate. She ran for city council and she ran for the senator's seat in Manhattan, amazing, amazing woman. She's a lawyer, she's a mom, a wife, you name it all. But we uh, decided to uh, form this group uh, with of course, common sense leaders from uh, different political backgrounds to try to uh, push out socialists and progressives out of office. So what we do is we advocate for policies, we just touched on advocacy, and we sit down and work with elected officials who are moderates, common sense. We endorse, we can endorse both Democrats and Republicans who are not far left, who are not far right, but we all share the same common sense agenda. So with five, So with the one city rising, we are forming relationships, not just in New York City, we're forming relationships in New York State, outside of New York, across um, the United States. We wanna bring everybody on board so that we can try to fight against the socialists and the progressives and get them out of office. We wanna mobilize people to get them out there to vote and also get familiar with uh, with who One City Rising is and what we're about. Um, that's basically what we're trying to do. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback, especially with the uh, socialists that's uh, basically spreading anti-semitism in the communities which is 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 another concern so i think that this is going to be a a really really um good uh successful project and i look forward to continue uh working with maria to spread the message to get the word out there to the people we need to we need to clean up our own backyard we need to stop complaining take action and start working with folks and, and push these agendas out and start mobilizing people.
0: I love hearing what you're saying. I worked in the South Bronx a long time as a Special operations Lieutenant with the NYPD. I was very active there, pulling illegal guns off the street, trying to help the community out. And, and it's a great community. And, and it was very divided. You know that they're building up Sobro, and they're really trying to gentrify a portion of the neighborhood alongside housing, which is mm-hmm. interesting, as your housing advocacy. So. You talk about being. You talk about what you're saying is your boots on the ground with this organization, and you're out there with the community, and you have an opportunity to be influential to have the community vote common sense things that make sense. So, how how have you had success in implementing this to the community to to tell them that they need to shut to vote away from the socialist democratic ideas? Because I've seen it. I you know I've seen it that they're they're promising. They're promising minorities and they're promising they're promising poor things that they really can't give them. They're promising funding and, and all ideas that they, just just it's just not there. So how can you be influential and change your minds when they've been sold a, a bag of goods that's just useless and wasteless? And, and, and we see the South Bronx just completely deteriorating. It's unfortunate. It's just getting worse. I saw a, a moment in time, especially in Monhaven, where we thought there might be a rise in real estate and it just completely, it's crumbling and unraveling. So how do you be influential to get the people to understand that this socialist idea is not in their favor?
1: You know, thank you for the question. That's a very good question. I I've, I've spoke about this in the past um, when I ran for city council against a progressive. And um, I guess uh, when I ran for office, my views were too moderate for them. I wasn't progressive. I wasn't, I didn't meet the uh, agenda of, of fitting in with the uh, other so-called progressive Democrats. So what we're doing now with OCR is that we have people sign up so they can receive, you know, information from us. We always encourage uh, voters to take a look at our website to see what we post on a daily basis and literature. We have different generations of people who live in different communities, right? So for our millennials and Generation Z, they're more in tune to social media. So I post like videos to spread awareness about what's happening in the community, what's happening not just in the Bronx, but in the state overall with this socialist um, ideology. And I tell the black and brown community, stop voting down the line. I'm a Democrat and I am embarrassed for my party because they have gone too far left. So I've done videos in the past, you can look me up. I'm not shy to speak out against the party. I voted for Republicans. If it, it, It's time for us to break away from the cycle of voting down the line. Literature is so important. Meetings is so important for our senior citizens, our veterans, we have to do the outreach. We have to go out into the community and that's what we're planning on doing. We have our first uh, executive board meeting tonight where we will be discussing that, that will be part of our agenda for next year's election. And going forward, we have to send out information based on the needs of the different generations because Generation Z is not gonna pick up a piece of paper and read. They're into TikTok, they're into Twitter, they're into Instagram, Facebook, and all these other tools that we that's accessible for us to use. YouTube, Generation Z, Millennials. I'm a millennial, so I know, I, but I also read. I read the papers. But we have to, you know, mobilize and do the outreach. And I think that having a collaboration of people from different backgrounds and across the city and state is useful because we can reach out to our community partners and disseminate that information to them, and they'll spread the word in their communities as well. So outreach is very important on different platforms.
2: It's it's honestly, it's so needed now across the country, really, because we've seen the progressive take in politics just sweep and take hold. And it really is one party rule in all of these democratic states. And we've seen it go too far left. And what we're seeing now with, your, with organizations like uh, yourself and with relationships that are being formed with, with all of us, Republican, conservative, Democrat, little to the left Democrat, we're all kind of in the middle, like, Hey, this is wrong. Something needs to change. Like we need to change the course. And I, I believe exactly what you guys are doing is right. I believe voter apathy and low information voting is causing these problems. Uh, we're not out there with the communities. The communities don't understand the issues. They have very low information on the issues that they that they that they are uh, uh, that they are concerned with, regardless of the generation. And they're just getting the, the far left progressives. Honestly, they they control all of the money, all of the big political donations, all of the media. You know, so it's so important for us to to get out there on social media and say, hey, look, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. I'm a Democrat. But this is what we believe. As a community member, not as a political hack, not as a big corporation or not as big media. So, I mean, I think I think that's huge. Um, I want to talk a little bit about there was there was a and, and what you're seeing, not only through all these collaborations, mm. we're seeing something that very important happened in the South Bronx recently. We've seen a 64 percent Democratic registered voter district in New York City Council swing and vote for a Republican candidate, Christy Mamorado over Marjorie Velasquez. Um, could, you, could you could you talk a little, li- could you walk us through that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, that race was uh, a very heavily contested race. I think the entire New York City was watching that race. Um, so, that race, we were very skeptical about it. Um, I think that what hurt Marjorie is the fact that she sold her people out. She sold out the community for real estate developers. And I think that the Democrats were just tired of being taken for granted in that prospective district. District 13, that's the Throsnick area, you know, that's uh, City Island. You're, you're familiar with that area. And we didn't have, like, at the time, I, I think during the primary, we didn't have, like, a, a, a strong enough candidate to take on Marjorie because she's backed by the political machines. And I, I, I personally know Marjorie. You know, I, I feel like when people get into office, they change, right? And she, she broke her promises to the, to the constituents. So Democrats, moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans and independents joining forces, I think it was a beautiful thing. I think that, and that district is 64% Democrat with only 14% Republican. So it was like a strong uh, collaboration of different community leaders coming out for Christy Mamorado. I was happy to see that, you know, a lot of people were uh, supportive of her. And I felt like I knew in my heart she was going to win that race because she's very much, you know, for the community. She's not a politician. She's, you know, she's a mom. You know, she, she works in a healthcare. She's like us, you know, she cares about the issues in her community. And I felt like it was the right thing to support her, even though I knew I was gonna get the backlash, which, you know, I don't regret, but she has common sense values and she's pro, pro uh, law enforcement. And, you know, it was just, it was one of the most beautiful things. I think we set a new tone. We sent a strong message to the, to the machines like you don't control us you don't get to dictate and tell us who we can and cannot vote for don't underestimate the vote and to be honest with you i think that new york needs to flip i think they need to go purple i think the one party rule doesn't work there needs to be some type of balance we need a reset and bronx city council district race district 13 race was a very very strong message
0: I think that's great. It's so interesting. What I'm curious to ask you also is you you talked about this candidate, which we know of who's pro, pro law enforcement, right? But yet at the same token, Marjorie, you know, was pushing for defunding the police. Was that something that, that, that hurt her votership because the, the Lieutenant's benevolent, benevolent association along with the PBA endorsed Marjorie. So, who was also behind the push for the fund of the police? Do you think that also hurt her position of winning the candidacy?
1: I think it played a role because that district is very. There's a lot of retired cops that live in that district, and you know, I think she underestimated. You know, uh, the the voters who are very much pro law enforcement. She took them for granted, and she sat on that progressive caucus. I don't know if you remember. And city council, when uh, city council uh, members formed this progressive caucus to target law enforcement, OCR, we were out there holding a press conference. I think it was earlier this year in March, standing up for our law enforcement. We stood there with both Democrats, Republicans, and independents calling out this progressive caucus and demanding that they dismantle this progressive caucus. Um, After we held that press conference, Marjorie decided to leave. The progressive caucus—they—they—they got a lot of backlash. And listen, we need our NYPD. You know, you something happens, I'm calling nine one one. Who's going to come out to you know defend our senior citizens and our veterans and families, women and children? Our law enforcement—we need to have respect for them. And there's no such thing as abolishing NYPD. So she hurt herself in that area by promoting the abolishment of law enforcement. And I think it didn't sit well with her voters and it, it affected her in her reelection. So, you know, uh, Christy was the number one choice. I was very disappointed that the PBA did not uh, endorse Christy. I did say something to them about that on social media. I think you see that on uh, my Twitter page, uh, John. But, you know, I think they, they got behind the wrong candidate. They, they're following the, the political machines and we need to dismantle that. We need to stop that.
2: I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, when I, when I looked up both the candidates, you know, Marjorie did leave the Progressive Caucus, mm-hmm. but she never apologized and she continued. I don't have a problem if a, if a candidate made a mistake. You supported defunded yeah. police, but what I've seen from the progressives, even the ones like Justin Brannon that stepped outside of the Progressive Caucus, they just pretend like it never happened. And now mm-hmm. because they voted on a new budget for the city, they're saying I voted to fund the police. No, you didn't. You voted no, you didn't. to fund your own paycheck because if you didn't pass that budget, you wouldn't get paid. The police are getting funded. You didn't vote to fund it. But Marjorie's platform was still she wanted to get rid of Rikers. Uh she was in not she was in support of not changing bail reform at all. Um, she was she was still far left on a lot of different on a lot of different issues, Mm -hmm. such as drag story hour, which I personally believe should not be getting funded through Mm -hmm. through city money and taxpayer money. If you wanna take your children there, this is America, but I don't believe that politicians should be pushing this or the city should be paying for children to sit down with drag queens. I, I believe this is more of a performance base than an educational base. I believe that we're very open-minded here. And I don't believe that there is there is an anti uh, gay or anti-trans sentiment ac- across New York City. We've always been a very accepting city, even from a young child. And the age in the 80s, we were very accepting of all different cultures and backgrounds. And I just I just thought like that also affects uh police officers and, and I it it was still that progressive twinge. So I mean you you kind of said that that you don't agree that they should have they should have endorsed that i i was very vocal about it eric was very vocal about it what what do you have to say though about the nypd currently as it sits like what are you hearing from the community what does the community want in, re- in relation to policing and are we doing a good job could it be improved You know, like, what what are your thoughts and, like, what are you hearing from the the community as far as policing? Because public safety is the number one issue across New York City as it sits.
1: That's a very good question, John. Thank you for asking me. Um, I've had, um, you know, uh, spoken with some of the community leaders and some of the constituents, and their biggest concern is um, lack of police officers in the subways. Um, You know that most of the crimes are happening in the subways. And people are afraid. Um, we would love to see more police presence in uh, the subways. However, you know, it sucks when you have our cops, you know, out here, you know, playing social services in the community. They're not social workers. We need our police to be out there in the community to protect our, our, our um, you know, constituents and not out here flipping burgers. I'm sorry. You know, we can use the extra manpower at the, the local precincts. That you know, some of these precincts are understaffed. I get it. We have like a influx of uh, cops, police officers exiting the agency because guess what? They're not being respected. They're not being uh, supported. They're not being treated fairly. You know, would you want to work for an employer who's not backing you? No. Like, I feel like uh, there needs to be more of uh, a positive uh, leadership um, in the executive level. Um, There's a lot of favoritism. You have good cops who are busting their behinds every day, serving the communities, working really hard, and they're being overlooked for promotions. They're being disrespected, not just by the community, but also behind the scenes. And that right there needs to to stop. We need to change the leadership from behind the scenes, pull out these officers from um, the community affairs, and assign them to these precincts because they are understaffed. And this is mostly um, in the uh, low income communities, the communities with the high crimes. We're the ones who are being affected by this. So every time you pull out a cop and you're sending them downtown to work out of the executive office, that hurts us because that's less manpower for that precinct. So when something happens and we put in a call with with 911, how long do you think it's gonna take for that cop to arrive if, there, if that precinct is understaffed? It, it, it's really sad. We need to respect our law enforcement, give them more support, and and if PBA is listening to this, I have nothing against you, but you need to stand up for your your police officers, back them, have their backs.
0: Latina, you just said so much valuable information. There's so much to unpack here. I love to start with the last thing that you just said. Absolutely. It's unfortunate, but here we are, 2023, and it's my opinion, it's my position, and John agrees as well, that the unions are outdated, and they're no longer useful in the manner that they they should be. Honestly, it's come to the point where they're more like a modified fraternal organization. Even at this point, as a cop, you're probably better off getting support from the Hispanic Society, or if you're Jewish from the Shavram Society, you'll probably get better support than you would from getting the unions, or funding yourself which most likely is done, is being done as we speak when cops are in situations that we call being jammed up or in a pickle, that you end up hiring your own attorneys. The unions are powerless, they're ballless, and they've really proved to show that, and they're endorsing the wrong candidates. So at this point, honestly, it's become more of a fraternal organization. I'm on the phone constantly with cops, lieutenants, with different rank and file on the job right now, active and retired. And we discussed the unions, and I asked them, why are you even paying union dues anymore why are you paying a retirement? what do you get out of it and like, honestly i don't know they get newsletters new le- newsletters and calendars and advice to luncheons but other than that the unions are very singular and it, it just comes to pushing contracts and there's a lot of information you said here it's great you spent some time with community affairs and i have been a huge advocate not an activist I love what you said a huge advocate for intrusive police work not the community fair side of policing I, myself, a special operations special lieutenant, was out there in the South Bronx. You didn't have to call 9 one I was doing anti-crime police work in plain clothes. We were out there doing intrusive police work, finding the guns. You didn't even have to call 9 one We knew who all the players were. But I became, along with other cops, a target by an overzealous civilian complaint review board. And you talk about support, and we do need support. And we need support, and we need the civilian complaint review board to stop with this biased move to, and this anti rhetoric towards police officers, so they could actually do intrusive police work. So, what's your position, and what's your stance on the civilian complaint review board, and what is your what is your ideology of what is a good cop? Because I myself is the most complained cop doing intrusive police work. I've been targeted by the civilian complaint review board. For some, they might say, "Hey, you were you were an amazing cop. Look, your record it shows." And for some, they'll say, "Well, you you have all the civilian complaints. You're not a good cop." So, what is your position on that?
1: Uh, well, the CCRB, that's a whole different, <laughs> that's a whole different beast. I know it's like, I feel like you need to take the politics out of CCRB. I think that there's too much politics involved. I think that city council is too much hands on on CCRB. I think that it needs to be more of independent. It's not, even though they claim to be independent, but they're not real they're not really independent because city council, they have their hands in it, and I think that um, as far as you know, um, law enforcement. I think that our police officers should be given a chance. I think that our law enforcement officers continue to be ignored on a daily basis. I think that there needs to be a change in how things are structured. I don't want to say too much. <laughs> Because I might just like, (laughs) I might say something that's going to uh, not sit well with the uh, executives, but I think that the entire leadership, they got to go. They got to go. There needs to be some new faces. There needs to be uh, people with integrity. There needs to be people who are adamant about serving the community. Good cops. Here's a definition of a good cop. A good cop will go out of his way to make sure that that constituent is being represented, that constituent is being served, regardless if it's in your area or not. You have cops now who are saying, well, I'm not going to touch that. That has nothing to do with me. That's not my division. That's not my area. That's not my area of expertise. No, but your law enforcement. I remember the cops back in my days, we knew the police officers by name. The police officers were out there walking the beat. They were talking with constituents. They would engage with the constituents. They were coming into the buildings and speaking. Some of them would even do like wellness check. We don't have that anymore. I wish we can bring that back, but we are in a situation now where our police officers are so restricted from doing things because we have city council involved who are basically micro, I feel like they're micromanaging NYPD. And that that, that shouldn't be the case. I feel like CCRB is not giving you guys leg room to actually do your job. I feel like CCRB is, they're working in partnership with city council to try to restrict you guys and that affects us, that hurts us. I think you need to hear more from the community and less from politicians. I think that CCRB need to do some outreach and actually talk with the constituents. And when was the last time they've ever held a, uh, a citywide town hall to get feedback from real people like myself? Can you recall a time? I don't think that's ever happened.
2: Well, they do. They do do community outreach, but I mean it's restricted. And you know, like me and me and Eric attend these meetings. And they have like a monthly meeting nobody really knows about it we've been trying to spread awareness about it to like go out there and just advocate for common sense like eric's the most complained cop he has the most amount of ccrbs but he's not he's his here, job. but he's not sitting here saying abolish the ccrb he's saying that cops like myself like him like that around the street they deserve fair and proper investigations yeah And the case that we've been making in this podcast and through their own testimony at these hearings at city council hearings is that they're just have become this government agency that is trying to prove their own existence and are reverse engineering their investigations. So, and, and that's not, and, and that's not helping anybody, right? Like we're just saying, give cops due process, give them a fair and proper investigation and give them attainable goals and standards. Like you know, I, I personally believe that everyone that sits on the CCRB uh, board, the the entire upper echelon of the NYPD, the entirety of the mayor's office, they could not operate effectively and not get complaints as we sit today, as New York City sits today, as the policy that's been created in New York City sits today. So I think there's a lot of uh, it's a there's a lot of gray that we 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 definitely need to delve into and we'd love to speak offline with one city rising about that as well Mm -hmm. because we believe in transparency with the public and common sense and we don't want dirty cops and we don't want our our children or ourselves being brutalized by the police we are the community right now especially in retirement right we are the community we we're not any different than anybody else and um so I, I think the, the common sense is what we're trying to get out there and, and, and advocate for. Um, and the same goes for, you know, and the same goes for New York City Mayor Eric Adams, right? He's he's involved in uh, what people say is a corruption scandal now. He, he just got his phones taken, his phone and his iPad taken. Everybody wanted to know my thought on it. And all I said was he deserves due process. He deserves. Yeah. He deserves a fair and proper investigation if it is determined that he gets he gets charged and arrested at some point. Then at that point, he deserves due process. At this point, he's he's involved in investigation. And as much as I am, I am, uh, I am not a fan of New York City Mayor Eric Adams. I
1: would not, <laughs> we know I would
2: not wish <laughs> a reversed, engine. I would not wish him to be found guilty before he was ever even fairly investigated. I agree. Um, I agree. And, and, you know, just if you could, what are your thoughts on that, you know?
1: I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, innocent until proven guilty. And I think the same should apply to our law enforcement. Um, you know, we're so quick to judge based on what we see or hear in the media without giving that person, uh, you know, their, uh, their due process. So for our law enforcement, I feel like you guys are not getting that support because of the unions the delegates um i'm I'm not trying to crap on the delegates or I, i you know i'm pro pro law enforcement but i feel like there needs to be some changes from you know from the bottom going up from top to bottom and if you don't have executives who like from the pc to the you know going on down to the unions, if they're not backing up a cop who's accused of something then what's the point of paying union dues? What's the point of you know uh, being in an agency who's not going to have your back? And I think that's where the problem lies. So maybe if we send a message to law enforcement, like, hey, what are you paying union dues if, if they're not gonna support you? They're gonna throw you under the bus and say, hey, you're gonna have to take this 30 day loss because you've been accused of doing X, Y, Z, but there's no actual um, evidence to support these so-called claims and CCRB is just gunning for blood well i don't want to say gunning for blood but they're just you know out here on a mission to uh hurt our law enforcement so we need to start taking a look at who's on the ccrb board and how are they connected to the local elected officials i can guarantee that they are connected to these local elected officials it's just about doing research and you need to restructure that whole board so that everybody can get their due justice and i always say this if you see a cop and I'm not saying all cops, but there are good cops who go out there. But if you see a cop who's been hit 30 times by CCRB, he's doing his damn job. He's doing his damn job. And the, per- the, the people out there, they're taking advantage. They know that CCRB is going to a- attack these cops without doing the proper research. That cop is doing his job. So that cop that's getting hit with 30 plus complaints oh. now is going to feel like, well, what's the point of me making these arrests? and doing my job if i'm going to keep getting hit with complaints by ccrb and it's unsubstantiated so i think that there needs to be changes behind the scenes and ccrb is the beast in itself but you need to see who the players are and how they're connected to these elected officials i guarantee they're connected to them
0: well first and foremost all the stuff that you're speaking obviously you show you show a great amount of adversity and definitely versatility when it comes to policing and as far as being a community advocate and your knowledge of, of politicians and what's going on in the area, I'm, I'm quite impressed. It's obviously boots are on the ground. It's obvious that you care. And, and let me tell you, when it comes to the Civilian Complaint Review Board, I, I as the most complained cop, I was targeted by an overzealous Civilian Complaint Review Board. And the timing was impeccable. At the same time, the disciplinary matrix came to its inception, which showed extreme penalties, which we had should, which should actually now turn to termination. So the, the game and the rules completely changed. And what I can say is this, I used to tell my cops, I was a huge advocate to tell my cops this. We have great power. With that power, we have to have great responsibility. This is one of the few jobs in the world that you could walk outside right now, walk outside right now. You can say, "Hey boss, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. I'm going to get a slice of pizza." And you could walk across the street and you could end up in a gun battle. And you could take someone's life because it's for the good of the city because you're saving someone else's life Mm -hmm. and immediately have your coffee afterwards and then have an investigation. So yes, we have extreme power, but with that comes responsibility. So yes, we should expect a full investigation. We should expect to be held accountable to explain why we took those actions. It's amazing power to have that ability to take someone's life, but we also have to be savvy and explain our observational skills and what makes us so unique as police officers is that we see things that others, others don't see and to put other people in that position. So I always felt, yes, it's important to have a civilian complaint review board. It's important to have the internal affairs bureau. It's important to have department investigation. It's important to have other cops policing each other because it's about balance. And mm-hmm. we need that with this great power because we could take it to the wrong realm, mm-hmm. but we do police each other. Right. But with that, there should be fair investigations, and these uh, these investigations prove to be completely reverse-engineered. John and I attend these meetings on a monthly basis, and I hope you have an opportunity to attend the meeting. Maybe not this one because it's coming uh, tomorrow or the next day after, but the following month. And you can hear it's just this anti-rhetoric. And John and I have witnessed, Oliver Rice herself, the acting chair of the Civilian Clear Review Board, say they don't take into account what's going on with the police, police department. The police officer, him or herself, or the environment, just the emotions based on the civilian complaint, the civilian themselves, and that's wrong. It should be about mending the situation. How do we look at the totality circumstances? How do we look at the relationship between the community and the police department to make the public safe? So it's not about public safety. It is about abolishing the police. It's an unfortunate. And the other thing I wanna talk about that you mentioned is the micromanagement. And micromanagement, we know, and I can tell you from my experience, reading numerous leadership books. And what I've learned in the Marine Corps, I was an honor graduate officer of School, and I've learned that micromanagement is the least effective type of management or leadership type of style that you can use. Why? Because it deteriorates any opportunity to have creative thinking, so that's what you're talking about. When the police officers say, "Well, I can't go to this location, or that's not my assignment," it's because they're afraid to think outside the box and to have critical thinking because they're micromanaged. And how do we know that's true? Right now, they just implemented a new system where, when they conduct roll call, not only are you being supervised by your sergeant, your lieutenant, and potentially your commanding officer, but now you're going to be watched on camera while you're conducting roll call. So there's just too much oversight. There's too much micromanagement and the cops cannot think for themselves, which would be the better of public safety. So obviously it's important to you for public safety being out in the Bronx. And and, and unfortunately the Bronx has been riddled and affected by crime. So what do you tell your constituents? And what do you tell the people in the street who to vote for and how it affects them when it comes to crime and, and, and their relationship with the police
1: department? Well, you know, I tell people this, I, I, I put out my videos, you know, um, OCR is, is, is um, you know, this group that we're going to be uh, pushing all this information out there into the community, we're going to be mobilizing. We just have to do some door knocking and educate people. You know, I think it's so, it's it's very important because I looked at the recent voter turnout for these elections, it was very low, low and disappointing. Um, in the Bronx. Uh, the Bronx is, we're, we're ranked as number 62. You know this, right? We're ranked as number 62 as being unhealthy, heavily uh, polluted, uh, dangerous. We're just, we gotta change that. And it's been this way for decades. And I'm like, why are we still stuck in this position? Why? Because we have elected officials with empty resumes in office. And that needs to change. We need to start doing research on people who are running for office, not handpicked candidates who are getting elected and we know nothing about them. This is just a paycheck for them. This is about them pushing radical agendas for their donors and for the lobbyists and the people behind the scenes. It hurts all of us across the board, regardless if you're Democrat, Republican, independent, we are all affected by radicalism in socialism, and we need to start mobilizing, door knocking, door knocking, take it old school if we have to, because the Bronx is just, we gotta come out of this situation. And if I'm not liking what I'm seeing with the, with the crimes, the lack of funding, where's our tax dollars going? We don't want to see repackaged welfare. It's an insult to the black and brown community. You tell us, hey, vote for us and we're gonna give you a bag of chicken and potatoes. And then we'll see you in four years or two years. But yet, that mom just recently had to bury their son or daughter because of gun violence, gang violence, assault, or they had to bury a loved one because of violence. You You can't bring back their loved ones. All you're doing is selling them a dream and you're selling them you know, lies, dream and lies. So we need to start voting outside of Democrat. I don't care if, if the person is independent, but this person is bringing policies that make sense, that's common sense. I'm gonna vote for that person that's going to do right by the community. I don't care if you're black, brown, yellow, green, orange. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care what your, your sexual preferences are. I care about the policies that you're trying to implement in the community that will impact us in a positive way. Cause we have a younger generation who are up and coming, who need leaders that's going to represent them in a positive manner and not sell them lies and indoctrinate our children.
2: Well said, I'm, uh, I'm reading Edwin Raymond's book now. In- <laughs> in-
1: Amazing.
2: So he, he Edwin has a, a progressive spin on things from what I take. Um, you know, I, I I always look at him as, as, as a polar opposite to myself, to Eric's ideology. Um, mm-hmm. But reading his book, there are things I disagree with. And we'll, we're going to do a review on that soon on the show. But he says one thing in there and it like it just it just like rang it like it just like rang in, in my soul. He said politicians create legislation based around public safety and policing. But their only knowledge of policing is what they see on TV. They have no idea the effects that this is actually going to have on public safety. They pass this legislation from what they believe a cop is, based on what they've seen on a television show. And I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "He's so right. It's it's such a it's so true, you know." Um, and. You know, there, there's just so much nonsense and you talk about money and money being spent. Um, I myself am against the violence intervention program. I believe that it's a grift. I believe that it's a grift. I believe that it's sending money to friends and family. It's mm-hmm. shrouded in mystery and it does zero to improve public safety. And, and it might even impede public safety from what I've been seeing. What are your thoughts on the violence intervention program?
1: I think it's bull crap. I think that the whole program is is a joke. Um, It's 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 basically community leaders. Some of them are I don't think they're vetted, to be honest with you. They don't have licenses and they're they're unvetted. To my understanding, when I spoke with some of the community leaders, some of them are active gang, gang members working for these Violence interrupter groups. I'm like, why are we funding them? Why not take that money and put put it to uh um to better use and fund um our local precincts because they're gonna need that money because they have the precinct council. Some of the I don't know if you're aware the precinct council gets a separate funding to go out there and do community events. No, I wasn't. Aware are of that. you? Yeah. So the precinct councils. That's how we have our precinct council meetings. They're the ones the council president um, organize events like holiday events, Thanksgiving events, you name it. Why are we not putting that money into their into their council so that they, it can bring balance to the local precincts? They have all of the they have an entire precinct council board. And, yeah. they, and, they, and they need fun, they're in dire need of fundings. They have to rely on outside fundings. And funding from these radical politicians who, of course, are going to try and control the precinct council because they're like, oh, if I give you $5,000 for your precinct council, you know, you have to do as I say. No, take that money from the violence interrupter groups and give that money to the precinct councils. If you want real effective change, you can do it through the precinct council.
0: I like to shift gears here for a moment. And it's probably something that's gonna make people uncomfortable. And I, <laughs> I can tell I can tell you're not gonna be uncomfortable. You seem like you know, you're pretty witty and you're pretty confident. But if we were the NYPD, which we're not the NYPD anymore, you know, according to Mayor Eric Adams, we would be celebrating that you're the first female black community advocate on New York's finance retirement filter podcast. But for me and John, I'm sure we're just happy to have someone as intelligent you, as, and, and passionate as you are. So you are our first community activist. Uh, sorry, not activist, community advocate on the podcast. <laughs> but So I, li- I, I like to ask you, right, because you're talking about public safety, your relationship with the community. Obviously, you're very knowledgeable about the police department. We spent all this time in the community affairs. And we've had a complete failure upon- from leadership. Now, we saw some signs of hope from former police commissioner, Key Chan Sewell, who was the first. Uh uh-huh. Well, thank you. She was the first appointed female black, right? Mm-hmm. Now, John and I have, have been expressive, right? We support women. We support women in, in, in an organization. We support women of power. But we support is the most and best suitable candidate. And we both feel that she really never had an opportunity to show the capabilities that she has. We saw the potential. I do say this, and I put out some tweets, stuff on social media. She showed more balls at the end than her predecessors and also her successor. But what I could say is this: What is your, how do you feel about her being appointed as the first female black in this position? And then, to, honestly, I feel like she was just completely shunned. She was treated like, you know, um, like like children. You could be seen, but not heard. And they kind of put her in the corner. It never got gave her an opportunity to have the legs that she should have. It was almost like, like uh, you know, like baby, you know, put baby in the corner. So almost like from Dirty Dancing. So. What is your position about that? How do you feel? Do you feel it's an insult that they said we're going to put the first female black? Or do you feel that that was an honor? I mean, what did the community feel about that as well for that and the correlation of public safety?
1: Um, For me, I think it was a little bit of it's a 50-50 type of situation. Um, Labels shouldn't matter. I don't like labels. I I look at the person's work and their resume because we talked about resumes, the empty resumes. Um, I think that skin color doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. I care more about the work and what you're going to do to make NYPD stronger. And she was the best, but I felt like she was, wasn't allowed to be her best. I felt like she was restricted on so many levels. Here, here it is, you have a, an extraordinary leader with an absolute amazing resume just years of dedicated services and just her work is so impeccable. How dare you not allow this person to go out there and show what she's made of and and try to restructure, you know, NYPD to make it better. I felt like she was just not given that opportunity because she was just put there as just a face. It's an insult. It, It was a slap in our face, not just the black community, I think all all over, because there were some cops who were upset when she left because she was a cop's cop, let's be honest. She was a cop's cop. She's gonna stand by her cops. She's gonna do the right thing. She's not gonna sit up here and be played. But I just felt like she just wasn't given that chance. And it's really sad because now with the current leadership, if, if you see, you can feel the difference. You can see the difference. The way she spoke, the way she carried herself. She was always there. She was always there. If, if no matter what, if there was an event, if there was a a crime, or if, if a law enforcement was hurt, she was there. No if ands or buts. She didn't she didn't come out because oh yeah, the press is there because she wasn't really allowed to speak to the media. I don't know if you remember. Wait wait wait.
0: Hold on a minute. She wasn't in Qatar. Is that is that what you told me?
1: <laughs> she, oh,
0: okay, okay. I want to, to clarify that.
1: She was always there, like 24 seconds I'm like, when did this woman sleep? When did she sleep? So that's what uh that's what a good cop and, and real leadership is about. You didn't see her out there partying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I miss real leadership. This she was uh, she was on her A game, we gotta give her that. But I felt like she just wasn't given the credit that she deserved and, and at this point, it's not about skin color. I don't care what your ethnicity is and I've said this three years ago, and people are like, "Oh what, it should matter to you, it should matter um you know, blacks are not getting a seat at the table no we need to we need to start working together regardless of skin color. I don't care about all that other you know uh you know uh agenda that they're pushing out. That's just not for me. I'm very I look at the facts and that's her resume.
2: Now, yeah, I think that, I think it was a bigger slap in the face to women, honestly. Yeah, Like women in law enforcement, I think that was the biggest slap in the face than anything. Like you did not give her the reins that you gave Her former, her former, uh, her former, uh, whatever, not predecessors, whatever that, whatever, but predecessor
1: and successor
2: and successors. (laughs) You did not give her the reign, thank you. Um, you did, she did not get the reign, and I believe that was a slap in the face to women, especially from a mayor that said it has to be a woman. Yeah, my police commissioner will be a woman, but you gave her the title, but none of the power. I mean, yeah, I I personally think it was a slap in the face. There are some women that do hold power in his administration. But he, what they, you know, it, it it appeared that he was they weren't ready to give up the reins of the police department yet. That's that's not for women. Men have to control that. You know, that's how it appeared to me. And I was like, wow, this is it's the-
1: competitive. It's comp- there's a lot of jealousy too.
2: Yeah, so- keep that
1: in mind because I've seen cops go through it. Good cops, and I'm like, why is there a competition between the law enforcement? And you guys work in the same division. You're supposed to be working together, not against each other. But this—it's a lot of competition behind the scenes, and as you well know, there's special preferences to some cops. So, Listen,
2: I, we've been going a while. I do want to get on the migrant crisis a little bit. What's going on? But before we do, you know, before we do that, I—I I, I am really curious your thoughts. Like, we've been seeing the police commissioner. We've been seeing the now. Made-up title of assistant police commissioner. We've been seeing the chief of patrol traveling internationally and attending somos, a uh, democratic mm-hmm. lobbyist uh, uh, um, event. That's like very. I mean, as police officers, I was always taught we had to be apolitical, right? I was always yeah, yeah. I would and and I couldn't really align with either side. Take photos with them. Go out to eat with them. None of that, right? When I when I'm on duty, but I'm seeing a police commissioner in Puerto Rico with a shirt with his title on it. Um, the chief of patrol, the assistant commissioner. As a community advocate, seriously, because I've never seen this before in the history, you know, people in Israel, like what are your thoughts as as a community advocate of the of the New York City police department now being an international organization traveling all over?
1: It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, it's, 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 you need to be here. We have issues in New York City happening every day with the migrant crisis, the open border crisis and you're, you're in Puerto Rico doing God knows what, you're breaking your own rules. Isn't there a rule that NYPD is not allowed to in- engage in political activities? if I'm not mistaken. It's a it's a slap in the face to the officers who are being punished for simple things, but you guys are breaking the rules that you put in the, in the patrol guy. It's your rules. It makes Sal no Greco. sense. It makes no sense to me. So it's like, what are you doing in Puerto Rico? And we need you here. We need you right here. How are you affecting... You know uh, policies in Puerto Rico. How is that helping New Yorkers while you're over there? It just doesn't make any sense. And I, I just, I'm trying. And I'm not sure if this is on taxpayers' dime. Is this on taxpayers' dime? Just this, this, these trips?
2: I believe so. I, they say I, that, I it's that. Not, but I believe that they're getting paid. I don't believe there's days off. I believe the we paid for New York City taxpayers paid for the whole thing.
1: And you're making up positions, which is also a waste of taxpayers' money these freight positions that they're creating to hook up, you know, their friends or those as part of the crew. Um, I think it's right now we're, 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 ve- we look very embarrassing to the community right now. It, it's Absolutely. very I, embarrassing.
0: Latina, I've said it numerous times. I said on social media, when they go on these luxury trips, are they using? Are they utilizing their own vacation time, or are they using time from the city? And if they are, it's taxpayer dollars. Absolutely. I know in the past myself and my, and my teams, we had asked to uh, to attend specific training one at West Point that would help out with leadership training, and we mm-hmm. were told if we wanted if we wanted to go, we could go, but it would be on our own dime, and we would mm-hmm. utilize our own vacation time. So what makes this any different?
1: That's what I'd like to know. Someone needs to look into the expenses. Who's paying for it? It's like, but who do we have to look into these things? Because everything is controlled. They have their people in place. You know, IAB, they got their people in place. You know, uh, who do you have left to turn to? I mean, is DOI going to act out on it and, and do the proper investigation? It's like, come on now, people, wake up. Like, we're they're making a mockery of the taxpayers. You're, you're, you're making us look like fools. Why are you in these other countries and other uh, uh, states and not doing your job here in New York City when we have a migrant crisis? We have veterans who are kicked out of the shelters, sleeping on the streets, and you're up here taking in illegal, unvetted migrants who are getting free housing, food, clothes, you name it, and they're committing the crimes. Crimes increased since they've been in the city. I don't know if you are aware. Since they can't come into this, since they've been uh, uh, bust into the city, we had a huge influx of crimes. On and I'm not saying I'm pro pro immigrant. I am, but we need to get a hold on our migrant situation here in New York City. And and I have to say that Joe Biden, and I'm not afraid to say it, I've said it many times, has done a disservice to New Yorkers. You take our votes, and then you turn around and you throw a huge slap to New Yorkers' face by not addressing this migrant situation and the mayor and I've been very vocal about it he dropped the ball on the migrant crisis you have you are the commander-in- chief of New York City you could have turned those buses back you picked a fight with two governors should have mind your business and focus on your own backyard you open up Pandora's box by letting un, illegal unvetted migrants into our city you put your constituents in danger and to the city council members, and the assembly members and the senators, they all played a hand in this. Those The radicals I'm speaking of, I'm not talking about the common sense leaders, the radicals, they all played a hand in this. You set us up for danger. And I have to say, I'm afraid of, 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 of us entering a purge era. Welcome to the purge. And that's what exactly what's gonna happen It's getting colder outside and the unvetted migrants are getting very aggressive. They're getting um very anxious. Because guess what? There's no money. There's no jobs. There's nowhere for them to 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 stay. The shelters are are, are very packed. <laughs> I didn't even know what else to say. <laughs>
0: well, well, you know, we've had a couple of uh, we had a couple of candidates on here for city council, and uh, one in particular, Helen Q, talking about the 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 eyesore of the of the sex working industry right now. That's going on with this migrant crisis. And I watch the news, you know, I'm out here in Malaysia right now. I spent three months in Thailand. I'm traveling this Southeast Asia. And I heard someone say on TV, Oh, wow. You know, especially in, uh, on Roosevelt Avenue in Queens, they said, Oh, it looks like Bangkok out here right now. And I can tell you this. I spent a lot of time in Bangkok and Mm. there is a red light district. There is, there's a red light district in Bangkok. There's a red light district in, in most of the parts of Thailand. But I can tell you this. What I saw on TV on Roosevelt Avenue in Queens looked far worse, much slimer. It looked disgusting in comparison to Bangkok. Absolutely. It looked terrible. I mean, I just think this just totally decimates and just – it really – it tears away from neighborhoods. And, and and some can say, yes, it's a victimless crime. I understand that. But there's a time and place for everything. And the way it's put out there in the streets, it's just – it just looks terrible. It really – it destroys our society, these neighborhoods. What's going on in the Bronx right now? Are we getting that same movement with the sex work industry for the migrants? Have you seen that? Are we seeing the quality of life just deteriorate because of migrant crisis?
1: Yes, we're seeing it in the Bronx. They're also getting bold and witty where they're going into uh, private buildings to prostitute now in the open. They're going into the the lobbies, the staircases, the hallways. Um as a t- I'm, a, I'm, I'm also a tenant leader. So we've been having these issues in the building and I have reached out to uh, management and to law enforcement and to the mayor's office about you know, tenants running a, a brothel, literally like a a sex trafficking thing in their homes. They're getting very bold and smart about it. And they're so out in the open with it that they, they can care less. And I'm like, well, this is impacting our quality of life why are you to management and I've spoken with people from the mayor's office who who, who tried to be helpful because they did reach out to a couple of people on my behalf but management is just letting it all fall apart in you know high pack high crime areas they don't care so we're seeing and we're getting the full blunt of it and you know Longwood Avenue Hunts Point in that area it used to be a red light district area you know that right so with the influx of migrants coming in, you're bringing it all back right now. And we don't, we, 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 we can't afford to, to, to have that happening in our community, especially with the younger generation that's up and coming. We have schools in the area. We have, you know, now they're, 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 the, the, the community is heavily saturated with methadone clinics. I think we have like 14 methadone clinics now. It's, it's, it's terrible. So you, we're, getting, we're getting hit triple times, left and right, left and right. So we see it here.
2: No, thanks for speaking about the migrant crisis too. I mean, I I I really I really worry about that, you know. I was looking at the tent city that they pitched up in Floyd Bennett Field and I was just the millions of dollars we wasted to put really in a makeshift area that floods that the power grid consistently fails on especially in the winter time and I have no idea how anyone thinks that somebody should live there, you know, and, and like, I'm not a, uh, you know, my family's immigrants. They immigrated here from Italy, your, your family's mm-hmm. immigrants, you know, Eric's family's yeah. immigrants. We, you know, we came, we all came to this country for a better life and I don't fault anybody for wanting to come here for a better life, but I believe they were sold a, a, a false bill of, of goods too. I believe that our elected officials, including Eric Adams when he went on his Intel gathering trip, was basically still told him, "Yeah, keep coming here. We have the money. We're gonna do the right thing," you know. And he's still pushing open borders to this day. Um, I believe the it, it greatly affects not only quality of life, yeah, but public safety because, like you said, it will lead to crime and more than even just the day to day crime. I'm mm-hmm. worried about the the terrorism. I really am. I'm yeah. worried about that, you know, the, the, the tempers are flaring up across the world. Uh no one feels the world more than New York City. You know, what are you seeing between these uh pro-Israeli, pro-Palestinian, and even some pro, a lot of unfortunately pro-Hamas uh um gatherings that are happening every night in New York City. Like what are your thoughts? going on about all of this?
1: Well, first I want to say that I support both the Jewish and Muslim community. I've worked with them and I will continue to work with both groups. But what I think that's happening is between um, these radical uh, groups that's coming out, organizing these rallies, I think is disgusting because you have politicians who are pushing anti-Semitism. This is what it is. It's not freedom of speech because these, these rallies, these protests are getting very violent. They're targeting the Jewish community. And I think it's horrible, it's very deplorable. Um, I've seen pictures of politicians standing with these groups as they go out preaching some despicable, violent, uh, vulgar, demeaning things to the Jewish community. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right and now more than ever, the Jewish community we have to stand with them and i and i can say this a huge chunk of the muslim community are against these groups they don't support that crap they're standing with the Jewish community as well because we all have to coexist there's no old, you know we're the, we're right we're the better group you gr- you guys are wrong and when i hear this this from the river to the sea it's it's wrong it's wrong like do you know what you're talking about do you know what you're saying and we see a lot of, you know, schools, you know, encouraging the children, the students, to go out there and be radical, be, you know, violent and uh, discriminating against the Jewish community. So it comes a time where now, elected officials have to start waking up and realizing, like these colleges. And these nonprofits who are not supposed to be involved in politics, by the way, because they've been using a 501c3 to be political and radical and they're not supposed to be doing that. We need to start hurting their pockets, strip them of their fundings, start calling out these groups, remove them. But I am concerned about the possibility of terrorism. I'm, a, I'm afraid that we are so open that we don't know who is who in the city, who we're standing next to. And these protests is is we got a clear understanding of what we're dealing with now, and 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 it's very violent. So I'm 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 terrified. I'm afraid for you know the Jewish community. I'm afraid for myself. These people are not out here fighting, going on a crusade to fight for the Muslim community or for Palestine. I said socialism. They're going to do it to us. They're going to target the blacks, the browns. I'm like you better wake up, wake up because this socialist ideology. Why do you think the migrants left their socialist countries to come here? Their countries collapsed under socialism. Did you know that? That's why they're here. You think they want to vote for socialist uh, politicians? Absolutely not. And that's what these politicians are banking on. Let's get them here. Let's give them access to local elections so they can vote for us again. No, because you're socialist. That's what caused their countries to collapse.
0: You know, it's quite interesting. I've been accused of being a, a proud boy, uh, a white supremacist, you know, uh, a racist, all these kind of things. And, and the irony to this, I'm actually Jewish. I had a bar miss for myself. And it's interesting Watch these, these these so-called rallies. You ask me, it's an act of terror. It's just complete violence. The occupying of the Brooklyn Bridge, just the fact you're impeding traffic. Someone could need to go to Bel- Bellevue for trauma. That's an act of violence. It's an act of terror. You, you, you could be uh, impeding on someone's life from getting mm-hmm. trauma at Bellevue. And people really don't understand the history. Yeah, is there fault? Is there fault on both sides, occupying in Israel and Palestine? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But Hamas will not stop until they just completely just destroy Israel. They'll never stop. If Israel decides to lay down, Hamas will never stop.
1: They won't stop. You know, they want to. They'll cling. never
0: stop. And it's funny. You see these. You see these. These rallies out here. I see these. These. These, these young kids. These. These liberals. Anti police. But at the same token, they have these flag, flags, flags queer to Palestine, and, and I say, wow, they really don't understand the history they because have no idea. If you were ex, exactly, if you were queer in Palestine, they would throw you off a building, they would kill you. So, what it leads me to believe, and John and I talk about this all the time, it this is just uh, it's like a cover band, and this mm-hmm. is a cover band for B for BLM. It's another version of BLM. I do think that New York. The entire country is seeking out their next George Floyd. It's just more movement for the Democratic Party because, look, right now Trump is in the lead, and the Democratic Party needs anything they can to cause disruption so that Trump doesn't get into office. I think this is all about that big picture. I really do think that this is part of seeking out George Floyd. China, you got anything? Yeah. No, no, no.
2: I thought I lost you. Sorry. Um, now, yeah, I just, you know, and, and on the other end of it, I mean, I'm, I'm disturbed as a former member of the NYPD from the reaction that I've seen from the NYPD at these protests. You know, Ed Caban cheered on and accepted without even a fight from New York City Council that we were going to change the way that we responded to protests, pop up protests, riots. And I see that very clearly in New York City. When cops and Jewish people or people who they thought were Jewish, who looked Jewish, I don't know how you look Jewish, Mm -hmm. um, but you look Jewish. They were spitting on people, kicking them, assaulting them, ripping down Mm -hmm. American flags. I saw the NYPD, a very emasculated version of them as they just sat there and basically let's give them time. And then I flipped to the same night in Staten Island where Mm -hmm. there's... An anti immigration rally. Uh, not, I don't even want to say anti immigration. They're anti the migrant shelter in their community. Um, I do see a lot of, of, of dumb things that happen. I seen a drunk man who was at this rally um, acting like an idiot, but nothing where he should have been arrested for. He was talking smack to the cops and he was arrested. <laughs> um, he was arrested and put through the system for jaywalking. I mean, so on, on, on one hand, I see in Staten Island, there is zero tolerant policy. You're going to mm-hmm. get arrested for jaywalking and mm-hmm. get through the system and spend the night in jail. And then I flipped to Manhattan in this far left protest where we have members of BLM and Antifa who have been out there the last three years causing ruckus and now all of a sudden they care about palestine they couldn't point out palestine on a map they couldn't tell you anything about the history of Palestine. they're they're a complete anarchist and trying to upend our society and bring in marx marxist socialist uh environment and mm-hmm. they're out there they're ripping down flags they're destroying property they're kicking doors in grand central station breaking the windows they're they're shutting down mass transit they're impeding pedestrian traffic and they're impeding of uh, vehicular traffic all of which are crimes that should be enforced with zero tolerance but there is zero enforcement that i'm seeing that's my opinion latina what do you what do you believe that that you're seeing do, do you agree with me or not
1: no i agree with you 100 i i see exactly what you're saying because I've been out there on the ground and you know I spoke with some of the members of OCR and I'm like what do you want to do do you want to organize something to stand with the Jewish community and they're like no let's sit this out because it's getting violent it's it this is not about freedom of speech this is about you know them being uh radical and it it's it's New Yorkers need to wake up and see that this is what's going to happen in the in the future we should be very much afraid And if it was up to me, you stomping on the American flag, you left your country to come here, right? You come to our country, into our city, you disrespect our values and who we are and what we stand for in this country as a whole, you should be deported. Because if you don't respect our values and what we stand for, why are you here? You came here, some of them came here illegally. You need to be deported. It's getting very dangerous. And, and and you know, I don't know what to expect in the future. I think there's there, something is gonna happen in 2024. I can't quite put my fingers on it, but all those activists you see coming out there, they, they, they're getting paid. These are George Soros funded groups. They're getting paid every time. This is like a paycheck for them. And I think they're gonna host another rally this Friday in the city.
0: It's a lawyer. John and I were talking yesterday on the phone, and we were saying the same thing. I said, isn't it interesting? Where are people get- getting all these Palestinian flags? It's amazing. What store is selling all these flags? Is there a pallet that turned up just like during the George Floyd riots with bricks? Is there a pallet showing up with, right, with Palestinian flags? Because it's amazing. Everyone has a Palestinian shirt. Everyone has a Palestinian flags. And what said exactly that is – most of them are unaware of what they're actually pushing out there because it's really a cover-up for BLM. It's about George Floyd. Ultimately, it's about the DSA, and it's about Trump not getting in office. This whole thing is orchestrated. Honestly, it's it's positioned for January of 2024. This country is, is, is headed down some scary things. I'm, I'm a veteran myself. I served mm-hmm. in the Marine Corps. I serve this country honorably. I love this country. I'm proud of it and it's scary what's going on. This country is being eaten from within. There's definitely going to be a terror attack. When it's going to happen, I don't know. It's unfortunate, and we are the most weak and vulnerable we've ever been. This is mm-hmm. not the World War II, II era, the best generation that this country's ever known. We have weak, emasculated men. I don't even know w- what a man is anymore. I see some of these young kids. I see them on TV because I'm out in, in Southeast Asia right now, and I see these. Young, I don't even know. You know w- what is a man anymore. From in comparison to when John and I grew up and and, and we played G.I. Joe's and it was all about masculinity and, and being prepared so that we could become men. I mean, you are, as a man, you're the first line of defense for your family. Mm-hmm. And we're just not prepared anymore. Men are not prepared because we are headed for for World War III And the, the young men in this country have to be uh, young men and women. Right, Because it's, it's co-ed for the military right now in all facets of, of of the military. Men and women have to have those masculine traits so that America can survive. If you look back at history, all empires fall. Is this empire going to fall? I hope not. It's scary right now. The violence that we're seeing right now. And people, honestly, they don't really understand what violence is. It's not what's going on on TV. John and I doing po- police work for, for 20 years. I spent a year almost a year in Iraq. I know what violence is. And it's not something we want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. It's a last resort. It's scary what's going on there right now. It really is. And these kids don't understand, but they're being heavily funded. And that's what keeps them going. And that's why I give you credit. You're an advocate. You're doing this because you're passionate about it and you care. We need you to continue to be out there pushing the community and being influential. And I know it's true what you said earlier, that the community cares. And it's unfortunate. It's about low votership i know that because i myself i was getting awards for the community for the police work that that i was doing with my teams and it really was my teams that was doing the fantastic job getting awards for the same thing simultaneously I was getting civilian complaints from. So I know it's about low votership because the people do care. The people want the police. They want public safety. They want prosperity. They want to feel safe. We need to bring this country back to where it needs to be. We need people like us. It's unfortunate. We're Not, not to toot our own horns. You say common sense. But John, it's, it goes it goes with what, what it says on the back of our t-shirts. It says we are the experts. We are the experts. We're the ex- experts in policing. You're the experts in community. We are the experts. We need to be out there, and that's what the common sense is: It's showing mm-hmm. compassion for what makes sense, societal norms. So, Latina, I, I, I really, I thank you for what you're doing. I, thank you. It's it's amazing. I know that you, you you you're banging your feet on the ground and that you care, you know. But but tell us what what makes Latina care, or what why don't other people care?
1: Well, makes that's a very good question. No one has ever asked me that question <laughs> ever. Um. I think it's because I worry about the younger generation. I have, I'm a mom, I have a teenager, and I worry about her future, I worry about what's going to happen to children her age, and I think that um, we are doing a disservice by not fixing the issues in our community. So I think that it's, it's our fight. We need to fight for our, our families. We need to fight for the younger generation. It's our responsibility. Our parents did it for us. Our grandparents did it. We have to do the same. So I feel like for me, I, I'm, I'm like mom to the younger generation and it's our responsibility to make it right. Guide them, educate them, teach them the right way. So this is personal for me. It's very personal because I have my kid. And even if I didn't have a child, if I wasn't a mother, I come from a very large family. I, I'm one of 22 kids. Okay? So I have siblings. <laughs> and I worry about them. I want to make sure that they're okay. God forbid if something happens to me, I want to make sure that they're safe, they're thriving, and they're in a, a in a peaceful environment. So, yes, it falls on us. We, as a collective, have to make it right.
2: Listen, I love it. I love it. I, I you know I I appreciate you coming on. I'm sorry I fumbled the opening, but um, you know <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, You know I uh, I really uh, I just I just think that this is exactly what we're doing now. Common sense, have discussions, not afraid to disagree. Just put our thoughts out, whether we agree, whether we don't. I mean you know we we keep having people on that you know you, you people from the outside would sit and say oh they wouldn't agree on one thing. And mm-hmm. we sit down and yet we agree on everything. So I, I, you know, I think that what what people don't see is that actually reaching out and talking
3: mm-hmm. br-
2: creates a bridge as opposed to listening to a news station as your religion. I'm mm-hmm. Fox News and whatever they told me is the truth, but I'm CNN and whatever they told me is the truth. I mean, that's not the way where people, exactly what we're doing here. Latina, could you tell all of our listeners where we could find you? And um, you know a way we could find you on social media, where we could we could go find one city rising, and any anything that you could leave us.
1: Um, yes, so on Twitter you can find me on under my name, my first and last name, Latina Brown. Facebook is a little bit interesting um, <laughs> if you can find me. Yeah. Um, it's you could just type in my name uh, Latina uh, with the D at the end because unfortunately. Facebook doesn't think that Latina is a real person. <laughs>
2: yeah, I can't Facebook. get on either. I have to use Johnny Mac. Like, they won't let me all on my they won't let me all my name I, I, and I couldn't yeah. even do Johnny Mac with my real date of birth.
1: D- dude, like <laughs> yeah, they, and they asked for my ID and they don't think I'm real, but I, I'm gonna handle that legally on a separate situation. But for Instagram, you can find me as Brown for the Bronx. TikTok is my first and last name, Latina Brown. I also have a, a YouTube channel. But for One City Rising, you can find us on Twitter, which is One City Rising, one spelled out O-N-E-C-I-T-Y, Rising, R-I-S-I-N-G, on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, and we're going to be having a a YouTube channel as well coming out soon. So, you know, we're just looking for um, a collaboration from people from all over. doesn't matter if you live in Florida, Canada, wherever you live. We would love to have uh, you become a member and support us and let's work together to push out socialism and progressive ideologies. Let's get them out of office. You know, if we have to uh, rally together to to um, support a candidate that's running for president, because uh, to be honest with you, I don't care for Joe Biden. I really don't. Let's work together to, to make it right. We we created this mess. Let's clean up our backyard.
0: Outstanding, Latina. Well, it's been a pr- a pleasure to have you on here. I think some of the stuff you said is extremely impressive. I think your insight is extremely valuable. I mean, you're you're a real person. You're a real p- a person in New York City. You're exactly what people want to see. They want to hear. I see a future for you, legitimately in politics. I know that you you're shying away from these politicians and you want what something you want something different. But people, the narrative is shifting. People want real people to be politicians. Yeah. And, and I do see a future for you in that. Absolutely. You know a strong advocate. And, and I, again, I'll never forget offline and also here in the podcast, how you explain the difference between activist and advocate. I think that's great. I think you should continue that. That should be a slogan. You should be out there pushing that to the people and understand that you're not here to actively cause problems. You're an advocate. You're here to support the people, support common sense to build these neighborhoods, bring them back to where they could be proud. New Yorkers, New Yorkers are, are just leaving if they're, yeah. they're running away, we need to bring them back. New York was a great place. I mean, John, and I talk about it all the time. We're proud to grow up in, in New York City. We're, we're New York City kids. I mean, even now, you know, I'm in Southeast Asia. When people ask where I'm from, I, I don't even say the U.S. I say New York. You know, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they still have they still haven't felt the politics here. So still, New York still has that mystique to it. But we yes. need to bring that back, right? So Latina, yeah. again, mm-hmm. th- 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 thank you for your versatility. I mean. It was an array of questions here, different subjects, and you really showed your your versatility and uh, your insight. So thank you so much, John. It's always a pleasure. You know it. Uh, I think it's time to get a word from our sponsors. Tina, thank you so much. I hope you stay in touch.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: Tina, anything you want to say say before we go?
1: No, but John, I, I think you should consider running for office you'll make a good candidate
2: i don't know i like making memes about politicians too much
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I
2: miss my memes they you know they wouldn't get any
1: (laughs) but think about it yeah
2: but but listen uh we're from our sponsors but before we go please follow latina on social media go to one city rising sign up like latina said wherever you are in the country uh, I, it's definitely worth it to do it. We we need to come. We need to build a, a middle ground in this nation. So I'm I actually am a member of One City Rising. I believe in that mission. We got Thank to keep doing that. So ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Latina Brown.
1: Thank
3: you. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community, but who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the the complexities of financial planning, and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue. Secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888 blue That's 888 blue